Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the illustrious Lion's Den in Monument, Colorado. If you're in the secret Facebook group, you have undoubtedly seen pictures of this, just this room that is just a haven. So I am here with my buddy, Ryan Dobson. Ryan, welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast. Oh my goodness, what an honor. I gotta tell you, for those that have not experienced the lion's den, I think I'm just gonna move in. I think this is my, my family is gonna be uh, missing me for a while. I came this morning, it was like, oh, I've longed for, there's 15, 16 inches of snow outside up here, yes. and uh, it could not be more perfect in here. I appreciate it. I love, Holy Smokes is the highlight of my week. It really is. I enjoy it more than I could probably express. It slows you down. In this high-paced world that we've got going on, I look forward to Wednesday nights where I just hang out. Well, here's the thing. So you showed up at a Holy Smokes event. By the way, first question, what you smoking? Uh, right now I've got a Punch Classico uh, introduced to me by Megan Hardray. Uh, when I decided to go to Holy Smokes, I reached out to Megan and ATN, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about coming to Holy Smokes. She goes, oh, I'll send you a pack. Yeah. And she really introduced me to some very good cigars. I am very, very grateful. And so uh, I bought a box of punch. That was the first purchase I made. And uh, I like it. It's a little, it's not a long one. Yeah. I like more of a mellower cigar. I'm not a real hardcore, yeah. you know. Beautiful. And then I've got an Illusione one-off. I will provided. be lighting one of those fairly shortly. I handed you mm-hmm. one yeah. provided by Howard at Illusione Cigars. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Howard. So two years ago, you showed up to a Holy Smoke event yeah. at Paul Felitas' house. Mm-hmm. It was during the summer, if I remember right. Yeah. And you never showed up again. You came. You didn't smoke at the time. Yep. And so I was like, hey, dude, just, I remember texting you once in a while. Hey, come down to a Wednesday. Come down to a Wednesday. Yeah. Come on down. I know you don't smoke right now, but come on down. So what happened? Here's the truth. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. And I just had other things going on. I was trying to focus on other things. And I didn't, I guess I didn't need it in my life at the time. Mm. Uh, or Maybe I didn't want it in my life at the time. I was kind of... I would say manic, maybe on the more hyper end of, you know, it was kind of like, I was just, you know, and I didn't really want the slowdown. I didn't know that many people. I don't know. You know, Megan asked me, this is the, I'll tell you why I started up again. Yeah. Megan asked, she said, you know, why now? Like you came two years ago, wasn't that interesting, you know, why now? And I said, you know, I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in nine and a half years. I don't smoke, I don't take drugs, I don't do prescriptions. And I had just quit sugar and grain. I was doing a six week, no sugar, no grain yeah. thing. I have a podcast called Rebel Parenting. We talk about all subjects. I have an addictive personality. And I said, you know, I'm just not that guy. I'm not the guy that doesn't do anything ever. Yeah. Uh, I need something <laughs> that's a bit on the vice side that's not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna fall into a hole with it. It's not gonna take you away from your family. Yeah. It's not going to ruin those relationships. Yeah. And she was like, oh, okay, great. And it's not, it's my, it's, it's my one vice. I love Holy Smokes because it's private. There are so many leaders. My goodness, when uh, I joined, it was like, I got emails from so many friends and it was like, 
you're in, you're in. It was like this, it's the secret club. I love the secret club aspect of it. And I didn't realize the slowdown is so, so nice. Just conversations, nothing's going on. Every now and then there's a, a game on in the background with no sound and it's on, you know, closed captioned. Man, and I've met so many people just, and from all walks of life. That's the great part. It's I sat next to a cabinet maker and the head of a ministry yep. last week and had fascinating conversations with both. Yes. Yeah. It's that when you slow down to actually listen to people, when they stop listening so they can, you know, when someone listens because they want to talk, yeah. you know that feeling like I'm just sitting here looking at you waiting to say my thing instead of just sitting down to have an actual conversation where you're truly interested in the other person. That's the funny one too. Every now and then you get someone coming for the network and- They weed themselves out. So I've been in Holy Smokes now for <clears throat> five years, more than five <clears throat> years. And I've seen them, they come with their insurance card, they come yes. with their financial advisor ah, card. That's so they funny. They come with their MLM, they come with Whoa. whatever. Yep. And they just realized, oh no, this just isn't a place for, for, not... for me to get a quick client. Right. Like, I'll give you an example. So there is a former USC offensive lineman who lives in Castle Rock. Mm. One of the top prospects, maybe of all time, to ever come out of Colorado. Wow. And won national championships at USC, went on, played a few years in the NFL, and he's now a financial advisor in Castle Rock. And I show, and I recognized him, and I was like, "Dude, hey, what are wow. you doing here?" Right, right. And so he, he's he's never been back since. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him back once. Isn't that interesting. Holy smokes <laughs> is about relationship. It's it is. not about a quick sale. It's not yeah. about, and it's really about it, faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. And it literally is only about that. You know, I don't know about other meetings. I've not been to the Orange County one yet. I've not been any other any other ones. But like on our next time you're out there, dude, you got oh you for gotta, sure. Well, I love Brett's, Brett Conkle. I mean, Brett's amazing. His, okay, his so you know whole Brett. family you know is amazing. I love them. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Aaron is just special. Right. And I like the rules. Like on the Facebook page, every now and then someone posts about their thing, and I'm like, ew, really? Like I get enough of that on my regular Facebook and it gets deleted immediately. It's like, this is not your marketing time. This is not your network growth time. It's your, I was shoveling uh, the driveway yesterday and I posted, this is what I'm smoking while I'm shoveling. And it was like, ooh, tell me about, I love that people are like, oh, what's (laughs) that one like? I've been kind of interested, I don't really know. And you know, I give my opinion and they're like, oh, what about these things? Yeah, it really is, cigars, Drink, friendship, faith. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So your last name is Dobson. (laughs) Uh, People are going to be listening to this saying, is there any relation? Yeah, I get that one a lot. Um, Yep. My dad is James Dobson, founded Focus on the Family. Uh, And I think even more importantly, your mother is Shirley Dobson. Yep. Uh, President of the National Day of Prayer for 25 years. Maybe 26 yeah, great, great family, great parents. My dad uh, then founded um, Family Talk, and now the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute. Uh, so yes, yes. So people that aren't familiar with your story, you were adopted. Yeah, that's you're, an interesting you're, you're, one. Your parents 
had Danae. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, she was a C-section at the time. It was pretty much can't have any more kids, right? I don't know. It wasn't C-section, okay. but there were complications during the pregnancy and my mom couldn't have kids naturally again. Okay. It's funny because I've rattled this off. Here's how I've been able to rattle it off like this. Yeah. My parents always told me long before I could even understand what adoption meant. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew they weren't able to have children. Didn't know what that meant because they told me from literally the time I was a baby, we couldn't have more kids. We wanted more kids. We prayed to the Lord for a long, long, long time. And he gave you us. I mean, he gave us you. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Gave you to us. Exactly. Yeah. I've recommended that to people ever since then. Always tell your kids, over communicate. It's one of the things we believe at Rebel Parenting, over communicate. You can never communicate too much with your kids, with your spouse. Always told me that. I can remember the day I realized what it meant. Like the first, I was probably, I want to say 11 or 12. Yeah. And <clears throat> this is 11 and 12 year old boy conversation, right? I've got a 13 year old now. Yeah. I'm very familiar with these conversations now. They were talking, my friends and I were talking about where we had traveled throughout the world before we were born because our parents traveled there. So my friends were like, oh, well, I've been to Mexico and I've been to Canada and I've been to England and places like that. And I was like, oh, well, my parents have been all these places. I've been, and it was like, uh, oh, no, I've not been those places. I was born to somebody else. It was one of those light bulb moments. Uh, even earlier than that, because I was born in 1970, so ultrasounds were new and there were no gender reveal parties. Like, the gender reveal was when the kid was born. Yeah, no kidding. That's what it was. Yeah. So in school, like first, second grade, I just found this assignment too. It was go home, ask your parents, had you been a girl, or if you were a girl, had you been a boy, what was your name going to be? And I was like, oh, well, they knew I wasn't going to be a girl. I was always going to be a boy. My name was always going to be Ryan. Uh, they had other names, boy names. I was going to be a David or, you know, all these different things. But I was never going to be a girl. And my teacher's like, no, I mean, your parents couldn't have known. I'm like, no, 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 they prayed. They prayed for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby boy. And that's how I came out. Yeah. And she was like, well, it doesn't really work that way. And I was adamant. And so when my mom picked me up for carpool one day, she was like, you know, we were asking the kids if they're going to be a girl. And Ryan was adamant. He was never going to be a girl that you had prayed for a blonde haired blue eyed baby boy. That's how he came out. And she, my mom was like, Oh no, Ryan's adopted that he was never going to be a girl. And it was, I could, I remember seeing my teacher's face like big, that makes like, sense. Oh, yeah. he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> like, I didn't know why I knew what I was talking about, but I certainly knew that, you know, that's how it was going to be. Yeah. In college, I met a number of other adopted kids and a lot of them struggle with the, here's the truth. Adopted kids typically struggle with rejection and abandonment issues. It's biological. Adoption is beautiful. It also wasn't meant to be that way. And so I struggle with that too. Like in my marriage, I hear rejection when Laura is not rejecting me. It's just Ooh, one of those louder. Really? Oh, for sure. Really? For sure. Oh yeah. We talk about it in therapy. I don't hear it nearly as loud as I used to. Yeah. It's just a biological thing. When you are in utero for nine months and you get used to somebody and then you are, I now know my adoption story. When I was born, my bio mom never saw me. Like they literally took me away. They put her in the women's maternity, not maternity ward, the women's ward, not ward, whatever room, mm -hmm. but not in maternity. 
And then I was in foster care for six weeks, and then I was adopted into my family. Again, adoption's beautiful, but that's really hard on an infant. So biologically, I struggled with abandonment and rejection. So in college, I met lots of kids that had... Which I think there, there are people that are going to be listening right now that are going to say, wait a sec, come on, Ryan, a newborn isn't going to remember that kind of stuff. Oh, a for newborn sure. isn't going to oh, yeah. hold <laughs> that kind of memory that's going to affect them the rest of their life. There's no way, right? There's no way. Well, if you talk to child psychologists and psychiatrists, for sure we hold those things in our bodies. In utero trauma, you hold that in your body. Listen, here's the truth. I am very open-minded for lots of things. I've done all kinds of different therapies, you know, uh, multidimensional eye movement and acupuncture and bioenergy synchronization. And I mean, some work, some don't. What I can tell you is you can grow and learn from those things. And I mean, if you really open yourself up to it, it's a natural thing. You get used to heartbeat. You get used to uh, voice. You get used to that biological body feel. When I met my bio mom a couple years ago, I mean, you can get into that if you want to. Or we're definitely going to get there. Um, it was physically difficult to be around her in the beginning. Mm. Okay, so let's get to that story. Sure. So Let when, me tell when, you this part, though, because that came much later for me in life. When I started meeting a lot of different uh, adopted kids, Yeah. I had kids ask, you know, like, Hey, did you struggle with being adopted? Did you struggle with that? And my friend Doug, Doug Waring, great, great guy, went to college with him. We were sitting in a group and someone was asking me those questions and Doug piped in with maybe the most perfect statement. He said, I think Ryan probably struggled more with being a Dobson than adopted. And I was like, oh, yes, exactly. That for sure was my story. You know, being the son of a child psychologist, being the son of someone that teaches you how to raise kids was much more of a struggle, especially when a hundred million people watched his film series on child rearing and marriage. Like literally a hundred million people. That's a staggering number. So there was a lot of outside pressure on who people thought I ought to be and how I should behave and how I should look and how I should talk, all those things. I struggled way more with that so that the adoption struggle really got pushed way out to the side. It wasn't something that I talked about or dealt with until, I mean, my goodness, maybe late 30s, mid to late 30s, early 40s, that I even started talking about that in therapy or, you know, talking to my counselor about that kind of stuff. All right. So two tracks that we could go. Mm -hmm. One, being a Dobson when when your dad grew, when when your dad exploded. Wow in terms of his fame and his reach and all of that. I mean, that happened when you were in... Sixth grade. Sixth grade. You have a story of a substitute teacher. Oh my goodness, that's right. Totally forgot that. Yeah, I was at San Gabriel Christian School. I want to say I was in a typing class. Like, check that out. I was in a... We had manual typewriters. Yeah. I learned it on manual... Electric typewriters had just come out when I was in the sixth grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, teacher was taking role, going through role, and she got to my name. She said, Ryan Dobson. I said, here. And she goes, oh, like Dr. Dobson. And I go, yeah, that's my dad. And she goes, oh, honey, I know you wish he was. And she moved on. And I remember thinking, what? It had made no sense to me. I had no concept of, my dad went to work. 
Yeah. I didn't know that he had this six giant or seven radio show that was nationally syndicated and well, best-selling it, books. You know, the radio show wasn't. I mean, it was big, but it, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't what it became. The film series had come out, but I didn't go see it. Yeah. Like they played it in our church, but I didn't go watch it. I didn't yeah. know that this was like a big deal. And they had never dreamt it would get as big as it did. And so I remember sitting there very confused. I couldn't understand why she would say that. And then the whole class erupted with, it's his dad, that's his dad. His dad's James Dobson. And I was like, whoa, why do you know who my dad is? I had no idea that Sixth grade. all these carpool moms were listening to Focus on the Family on the way to school in the morning and all these kids were hearing stories about me. That was the, apparently that was like the time it was like, oh, now we can talk to you about it. Yeah. Like it was just one of those hidden things. The teacher got very embarrassed. I didn't understand that either. Like, why would that embarrass you? Yeah. And then the next day she brought, she brought a stack of books for me to bring home to my dad for him to autograph for her, which I also felt was a little weird. And of course he was like, of course I will. What's her name? I'm like, Mrs. So-and-so like, you know what I mean? I don't know yeah. what her name is. Yeah. I didn't know I was famous. I had no idea, no idea. And here's the truth, Steve. All of my good friends, I mean, my best, closest friends growing up, I knew them long before my parents became famous. Yeah. None of them cared. Yeah. We went to church together, went to school together, we skateboarded together, we hung out together. Nobody cared except other people, right? So that was brand new, yeah. And then, I mean, literally, this is not a pity party thing. We went for, I mean, it was a decade where we would stay after church for an hour or two while he counseled people. Because they were in trouble. Like, he just couldn't say no. Right? His mission in life is to help people when they're in crisis, to help their marriage, to help their parenting. His purpose for being is helping families. And if there was somebody at church that was like, I'm going to cry, what's he going to do? Say no? I'm really sorry. I got to go to lunch with my family. Right? Like, we would handle it differently today. There's so much more celebrity culture he might handle it differently today. There was a decade. Well, I mean, at the time, there was, your dad didn't have the infrastructure around him at Focus. Oh, my to, goodness. And that, those were in the early days of Focus. Probably, yeah. let's see, that would have been, your sixth grade probably would have been what, around 1982? Mm, yeah. And so Focus. 82, 83. Yeah. I remember hearing the stories of when it absolutely exploded in oh, terms of... The office it's was probably insane. still in Arcadia. They still oh, didn't yeah. have, they didn't have they the, didn't the Pomona to, office yet. No, that wasn't until years and years and years later. Listen, his very you got to love my dad. He is such an interesting, unique person. Really, he is a one-of-a-kind unicorn for sure. He opened up a one-room office in Arcadia, California, and it was uh, the 70s, and the decor in the office was floor-to-ceiling Aspens in the fall. Three walls was a forest. You've not seen that since the 70s. Floor to ceiling, Aspen's in the fall. I'll never forget that he had a part-time. Uh, first, he had a part-time assistant, and then she became a full-time assistant, and he had another part-time. Uh, it was D. Audie was his very first assistant, and then Anita Fugler yeah, Anita. Uh, came very shortly after that. Yeah. They didn't know what to do. Literally a hundred million people watched that Focus on the Family film series and he's getting 
I mean, stacks, stacks of stacks. letters. Yeah. He wrote every single person back for years and years, literally hand yeah. wrote. And this is my dad. You want to talk about business? Like, I love watching Gary Vaynerchuk. I love like Grant Cardone and Tony Robbins and uh, Michael Hyatt. Like, I love watching those guys. He not only would write people back, he saved a copy of every single letter. Every letter he ever wrote, he made a copy of it and saved it. And then when someone else would write about a similar subject, he had a categorization system, a filing system. He could go back and look at that and go, oh, this is what I said before. I can update a little bit here, you know, and I can write them. Then I don't have to rewrite a brand new letter every single time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which then became the templates for Mm -hmm. his correspondence departments to be able to reach out. That's right. Because when you started writing Focus of Family in the 80s and 90s, and you'd get a letter back from James Dobson, he wasn't sitting down and writing those letters, but he had. Yeah. If you wrote about, I mean, early in the early days, you know, potty trading, biting, you know, um, sleep or early marital problems, things like that. He had written somebody specifically about that. And so the words you got back were, they would cut and paste those letters into unique Uh, letters back to people and that's why it felt so personal that's why people had such a strong bond with him because it was like oh I'll write you back I will if I can't personally write you back I have written someone else back with your situation and I we will write you back oh yeah yeah it grew I mean it was just we would get interrupted at every meal we ever ate out at for a decade every single meal we ate out at somebody would come and go oh I don't want to interrupt so I've been in that situation with your dad. Mm-hmm. When I would travel with him, we would go out to eat or when we would break <laughs> for recordings, we'd go out to eat. When you're walking in an airport. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for me, as yeah. someone who was working for the organization, whether it be Focus or later Family Talk, yeah. Yeah. I took a great deal of pride in, wow, here is a life that we have affected. Now, yeah. you are in a very different position, being a son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you feel any kind of ownership in terms of your dad's mission and what he was doing no. and trying to support? Okay, you just wanted to be son? Yeah, I just wanted to be son, and the pressure was kind of, it was getting to be a little hard. Here's the truth. In the early days, really not from my parents. I can't not be honest, Steve. I resented it for a long time. It was really hard. I felt... Did you rebel because of that? Um, I just wanted to say I'm my own person. I'm not a small version of my dad. I'm just me. And here's the truth. I knew I couldn't be him. Not only... I mean, I couldn't be him when I worked at Family Talk as the co-host. I can't be him now. I couldn't be him when I was in school. I couldn't be him in college. I wasn't. I just didn't have it. He was a very, very different person. So that was... Difficult. I can tell you the moment it changed. I rode in the Focus on the Family bike ride for the family. It was a series of charity bike rides in all 50 states. Yeah. And they would ride between 200 and 250 miles over a three-day weekend to raise money for Focus on the Family. And I rode in 23 of those. I rode almost 8,000 miles on a bicycle in two years. I've not been on a road bike since then, by the way. Not one time. After my last ride, I was like, I'm good. I've ridden enough miles. I never need to do it again. We were, I don't remember what state we were in, 
and we were kind of, you know, people would come each night and they would hear different speakers speak and it was really, really neat. I met a million people and these people would raise money. We had a guy learn how to ride a bike to come on the ride with us because Focus on the Family had changed his life so much. I wasn't really paying attention to any of that. We were at an event and we were there and they kind of opened it up for questions and there was a man there in his 70s, late 70s probably, and he had this carotid artery scar on the side of his head where they had come in and taken a piece of artery and used it to repair his heart. So he clearly had had a massive heart attack at one point. And he got up and he said, focus on the family saved my life. And he started to get choked up. He got really teary. And he said, five years ago, my wife died and my world ended. And I thought I would die and I wanted to. I wanted to die. I didn't want to live one more second without my wife. And he starts crying and he said, I wrote Focus on the Family and told them that my wife died and I was sad. And a week later, someone called me at home and just wanted me to know they were praying for me and they cared about me and was there anything they could do? And he goes, I couldn't believe it. Someone called me and he goes, and two days later in the mail came books on grief and cassette tapes on grief and a week later the guy called me back and a week later he called me back he goes he called me for months after that and by this time he's weeping and he said I wanted to end my life and I'm alive today because of focus on the family and I just want you to know the impact you made that transformed you know you're getting emotional right yeah. now you're tearing up about this because and it's because he did it for, for it was millions of people they did that for. I know. You know, it was... And it came out of your dad's heart. Yeah, it did. It totally did. I mean... Listen, my family is a family like anybody else. And I have a very strong personality. My dad and I have butted heads many times. <laughs> you know, we had every problem every other family has. The version you read about was the Facebook version of our lives. They didn't have the freedom to be that transparent like we can be today. Yeah. But his heart was, if there is a hurting, needy person out there and we can help, then by God, we will help them. We will do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter if we lose money. It doesn't matter if it's, I mean, it was, if people reach out in need, we will help them. We will. And they did. He, it's just his life. You know, for all the arguments, for all the fights, for all the strife, for all the internal rebellion, for all the angst, whatever you want to say, that one made me pay attention. I mean, you know, the other one too, Brian Slivka really ran that whole program. The bike ride. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. And he would talk about focus and get emotional, and I didn't understand why. And that made me understand why. It was like, oh, you guys live this. I didn't work at Focus. I mean, I did every now, like, you know, I'd stack chairs in the chapel and, you know, just little work like that. Yeah. But when you go through an airport with him and someone stops him, the message you get over and over and over again. I can remember Michael Tomlinson, MT, when he was working for him. He goes, dude, people are desperate for your dad to know that he changed their life. 
we were headed for a divorce and you saved my marriage. My kid was off the deep end and you saved my, like, it's like they want to grab him by the collar and shake him and be like, you saved me. You saved me, Dr. Dobson. You say it's this desperation of how do we say thank you? Yeah. How do you say thank you when you're in the middle of a divorce and you read Love Must Be Tough and it revolutionizes your marriage and now you've got this incredible marriage where you love your spouse and you've got intimacy and you and your kids laugh and talk like there is he has changed lives and so yeah so Sean McDowell and I have a very we have a kinship like no one else you know what I'm saying Sean is the son of Josh Josh So there was, I mean, there was literally two decades where we became speakers in our own right. I mean, Sean's a super genius, right? He's got a double PhD and I think he's got two. He's at least got a double master's and a PhD. He might have two PhDs. Like Josh is my hero. Sean is terrifying. He's so smart. He's scary smart. And he's the greatest. He is just an insane witness and just a gem of a human being. Yeah. But we also have a very similar, you know, like we can talk about things that nobody else understands, you know, where there was a good decade where he and I were both speakers in our own rights. We had written books. And, you know, in that age, in those early 30s where you're trying to be an adult and you had this idea of what adulthood would be like and how you'd be received and taken. And then you go to an event where they've hired you to come speak. They're paying you money. And the guy that gets up to introduce you goes on for 10 minutes about, you know, James Thompson saved my marriage. And, you know, he's talking about focus on the family and my dad and the resources and all the ways that it's changed lives and helped people and, and saved our country. And then he'll say something along these lines. And he's got a son. The Ryan Dobson is here. Welcome, Ryan Dobson. And I'm like, um, I've written six books, man. Like, do you want to mention anything I've done? Sean has the exact same story irritated me so much I mean I can't I was so immature now I look at it dude say whatever you want he deserves it he does I tell you what's unique about my dad he is tip of the spear I mean you've worked there Mm -hmm. he will never ask you to get into a fight he's not already been in he has taken so many punches and so many blows agree disagree agree with this politics disagree with this politics his heart is in the right place is he perfect? No. Has he made mistakes? Of course. All of us do. Totally. And if you get to know him, he loves people. For sure. I think there's a lesson in here for nonprofit leaders that are listening to this right now. <clears throat> just about how your dad grew focus and how he grew family talk. Oh. In that it's about caring about people and yep. doing whatever it takes in order to make sure that, that those constituents are taken care of. It's difficult. I mean, listen. And even businesses too. Businesses can learn lessons from you got to make a living. That. You've got to pay your employees. I mean, there's a massive overhead in a business like that. Massive overhead. But you're walking this tightrope of ministry and business. It can't all be ROI. You can't have everything be an ROI. You've got to figure out, hey man, we're going to have to tighten our belts here because people are in need. I mean, don't I know it? I run a ministry now for marriage and parents. We ain't making a dime. Like everyone thinks I've got this magic Dobson fundraising list and that we're, you know, like it must be great. Well, it's great to help people. It's also, it's slim, you know, but it's the right thing to do. My parents the other night, we had spoken, Laura and I had spoken a couple of times. My wife is my co-host on my podcast. Um, 
Rebel Parenting. By the way, there will be a link in the <laughs> show notes for this. I highly recommend it. Hey. It's a show, Right Turn Media, my company, puts together for you. And uh, been, been with you, not since the beginning, but Almost. pretty close. Yeah. I think I you've mean, been around a few months. and I just realized I couldn't do the engineering. I mean, it was we were trying to do more and more. I don't know where I was going with. Oh yeah, we had Laura and I had spoken at a couple yeah, of events, and my parents were like, "Well, they're paying you, right?" And I'm like, "Oh no, we got a uh, we got a gift card for the movies from one, and one gave us fifty bucks." And they were kind of like Ryan, and I go, "Listen, they don't have any money. These people are in need. You never said no." And my dad always kind of chuckles, and he's like, "He just wants to see me make it, right? Totally. Like he's totally. a dad. Yeah. He wants to see us be a success." He did the same thing. He took every single speaking engage. It's why he did the film series. He couldn't go on the road anymore. He was losing his family. I mean, he was gone all the time. When, when I was a baby, he was gone all the time. And his dad wrote him and said, hey, you're going to lose your family. It's not worth it. You got to figure something else out. And that's why, that's the only thing people don't know. He was the first person to film himself in one place. And then they would play it to another audience at another time. And he wasn't going to be there. There were no comedy specials that were filmed like that. I mean, nothing. Yeah. It was the first person to do something like that. His agent, his manager, his publisher thought that would be the death of his career. They thought this will be the end of your career. And then, you know, they never planned on being famous like that. It, it wasn't in their their plan, like we're gonna have a hundred billion people watch this. It was just, yeah. I gotta figure out a way to be home with my kids while they're young. That's the other thing too. Like if you watch my mom, women today, there's never been a better time or a place to be a woman in America. Like you can do anything in the world. Women are the most accomplished, the most successful they've ever possibly been. I just tell women, you can have anything you want. You just can't have it all at the same time. My mom had a full-time career before we were born. She put my dad through college and through uh, his doctoral program. And then she was a stay-at-home mom until I left for college. And then she became the president of the National Day of Prayer for 25 years. Like, that's a huge career yeah, totally. afterwards. Yeah. All right. Who is Ryan Dobson? We've talked enough about your dad. Who is Ryan Dobson? How do I, I don't even know how to answer that, Steve. I love Jesus, first and foremost. In the last three years of running this podcast, it has been uh, amazing to see how much faith and the Bible play into marriage and parenting. If you will put the Lord first in all situations. I mean, we've been in the ups and the downs since we moved to Colorado. I'm a husband. My gosh, I love being married. That's the thing with Rebel Parenting. Like, when your marriage is good, everything in life is better. I mean, everything in life is better. Everything yeah. is better. You can go through the worst. We've been through two bouts of cancer. I mean, we've been through just the craziest ups and downs in the last three years. I almost died. Laura almost died after giving birth. I mean, we've been through crazy. When your marriage is firing on all cylinders, there's nothing you can't go through. Nothing. When your marriage is bad, everything is harder. Every single aspect of life is harder. When you are not safe with your spouse, when you are frustrated and resentful and angry and I've been there. 
everything is worse in life. And that's what I try to tell parents these days, like, and couples, man, if you can work on your marriage and really, really learn to be selfless, that's the key. Oh, it's so, it's so hard. Here's, here's the thing. When you say you've been there with a bad, when marriage has been bad, yeah. you were married once before. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, my first marriage ended in divorce after six years. And that's not even what I'm talking about. Laura and I have gone through hardcore marital problems. We've been to therapy for it. My first marriage was very, very difficult, ended in divorce. And for people that are like, why don't you ever talk about it? It's not fair to my ex. I have a platform. I have preconceived ideas about me. It would not be fair for me to air dirty laundry out there with a... No one ever mentions her to me. Yeah. If she gets married or has kids, people will give her my dad's books. I mean, maybe. I don't know. We've not no. spoken in decade and a half or more. She will hear about my family the rest of her life, probably. I won't. And so it's just not fair to talk about that. But in my own marriage, Laura and I have gone through hard times. Yeah. And so I just tell people, man, if we can do it, you can do it too. Really. Like if we can go through what we've gone through and we can get on, you know, land on our feet and not land on our feet and... You know, man, you can do it too. The same thing with parenting. I was a terrible early parent. Mm -hmm. Terrible. I was so afraid of blowing it and being a failure and being seen as a failure. It made me angry. Fear, my fear came out as anger. So I was constantly angry. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of therapy and a lot of soul searching to get through that season. But I got to tell you, man, like... I love being a parent. It's just crazy. Like, I got a 13-year-old and an almost 8-year-old, and my goodness, it is so much fun. It's so much. You've got to get over the fact that you're definitely going to blow it, right? Like, your kids are going to need to be, I've been, already been in therapy with my kids, for sure, right? Like, one of the hardest things we've done is to go through therapy with your kids and learn how you've wounded them as little children. It, it's awful. Was that what kind of shifted for you because I'm going to be dead honest yeah you are a much different person now <laughs> than when you and I worked together yeah. at family talk yeah 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 you're um, a much different person yeah I just didn't ever feel I could measure up to my dad I hear the oh you got big shoes to fill I hear that all the time and here's the truth I'll never fill those shoes I just I'm not my dad I can't be him I can be me but I didn't know how to be me. I didn't know how to speak in my own voice. I didn't know how to not listen to that voice in my head that said I wasn't gonna be good enough. And therapy did it for me. I mean, we pumped therapy on Rebel Parenting all the time. It transformed our lives. And I had to learn how to speak in my own voice. When Laura and I started the podcast, I asked if she'd be my co-host for it, and the first I'm going to start my own thing. You know, I'm going to be a broadcaster. I had podcasted for, I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years now. I'd already had a podcast. And then um, when I co-hosted for my dad, after a while, I just couldn't do, I was doing my own show three days a week, an hour each time. And I was doing my dad's show five times a week, a half hour each time. And it just got to be overwhelming where when I became the vice president of broadcast, I couldn't do my own like I had. So... I stepped down from Family Talk to do this new podcast, to do this new thing, and I asked Laura if she'll be my 
co-host. I'm expecting like, oh, it's going to be great. You know, this effusive, you know, this is going to be so much fun. And she goes, well, are you going to use your voice? And I go, what? And she goes, are you going to, and she was not, you know, there's a little edge, a little edge in the voice. And she said, are you going to use your voice or the family talk voice? And it didn't, it dawned on me then I wasn't really being me all the time. And I said, well, I'm going to try to use my voice. And she goes, because I don't want anything else. Like, you either be you or we don't do this. And here's the truth. It took, I mean, I don't know, a year and a half of broadcasting with Laura multiple times a week to get more comfortable in my own skin of just saying, you know, my dad's an expert. He has a PhD from USC in child development and family psychology. He was a professor of pediatrics at USC. He is a professor of child development at Point Loma. He was on staff at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. He had seven of the 10 bestsellers at one time for yeah. a decade. For a decade, the top 10 bestselling Christian books, he had seven. Like, I wasn't that guy. I didn't know that my weaknesses would be my strengths, that everybody goes through those times. Everyone has self-doubt. Everyone has marital problems. Everyone struggles with being a parent with guilt and shame. And just being honest about that in our journey as parents and a couple in overcoming our failures would be the thing that attracted more people to the podcast, of giving people an obtainable goal, right? Like I talk about anxiety and depression because I struggle with anxiety and depression and people go, oh, you struggle with that too? And I go, dude, I totally struggle with that. They go, oh, well then I can work on it too. And I go, oh, and I goes, I was a, people always like, oh, and I say I was a terrible parent. I get this, oh, Ryan, bro, I know what good parenting and bad parenting is. I was a bad parent, legit bad parent. How have you changed as a parent the last few years? I've worked on my anger the most. I've worked on being more comfortable with my failures and not trying to be somebody I'm not and not trying to make my kids perfect. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not perfect. They're kids. Most of life is failure, of accepting failure on a regular basis. Getting over the anger was the biggest one. Real, And it was mostly for Lincoln. You know, Lucy was one when I went through my transformation. So she didn't experience angry daddy like Lincoln did. So I've been to way more therapy with him over just, I'm sorry. And then parenting her differently, not being angry all the time, it would make him so mad. You would punish me for that if I did it. And I would be like, you're right, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I did that to you. I'm so sorry for how angry I was. I'm so sorry for making you afraid when you were little. I'm so sorry for making you think you weren't good enough. And the way to overcome that is to tell your kids how much you love being their parent. Mm. And that will change you. Like changing your verbiage with your kids. Like just tell them regularly because they don't hear it enough. Like, man, I love being your parent. I love hanging out with you. It's so much fun being your dad. Like, and then trying to figure out who they are. Not who they are like you, but just who are you going to be? What will you like? What will you be interested in? You know, my kids are real, very different from me. Very, very different. I mean, I was hell on wheels as a kid. I risked my life regularly. I came close to death. So my poor parents, I mean, I was in the ER over and over and over and over as a kid. My kids aren't like that. They're not risk takers like that. They have their own interests and their own likes. And 
getting to know them for just who they are, totally. It's, they're great kids. Yeah. Are they perfect? No, there's kids. But I'm not perfect either. Like, I just got to remind myself, I have not figured it out. I don't have all the answers. I'm trying to learn something new every day. And so are they. Getting over the anger, getting over the fear is very, very difficult. Especially for men. Oh, for, right? Well, I, moms deal with the guilt way more than, I don't know. They deal with it openly more than dads do, I think. Like, the loudest voice, I think, in every woman's head is the one saying, you're not doing a good enough job. And I don't believe it. I think almost all parents are doing the best they can. It's just hard, right? It's hard, and it's harder today than ever before. I had, we were at a MOPS group the other day. Laura and I speak at MOPS as often as we can. I love the MOPS organization. And a mentor mom said, is it harder to, to be a parent today than when I was an early parent? And I'm like, oh, for sure. I, we were coaching a couple who um, their parents are in their latter stages of life and you know, they're trying to figure out how do we what do we do when our parents start failing and and when they pass away? Like they're going to pass away at some point. We're getting closer to that date. What do we do? And so I was Googling, how do you watch your parents pass away? And I Googled, how do you watch your parents? You know, it fills stuff in for you. The whole page filled up with, how do you smoke cigarettes without your parents knowing? How do you have a relationship without your parents knowing? How do you watch Game of Thrones without your parents knowing? How do you sneak out of the house without your parents knowing? I mean, there was like 40 answers of how do you thwart your parents' authority in your life? And I was like, Oh my good. Like my parents never dealt with that stuff. They didn't deal with Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and apps. And I mean, they could pick up the phone when you were talking to your girlfriend and find out what you're talking about. Like it's and just the pressure that social media brings to a mom. No one takes photos of their kids crying because you yelled at them because you got hungry and didn't feed yourself with hashtag blessed. Like nobody, (laughs) no one's posting those photos. You only post the filtered version of your life you want people. Even when we post like the things that are tough in your life, it's still the filtered version of what's going on that's tough in your life. And so we see these photos of all these other families thinking they must have it better than us. They must be better than we are. And then you deal with all that shame and that guilt. And you just gotta be like, dude, everyone, everyone's got hidden hurt. Everyone's got hidden pain. The more we go speak, the more we hear about it. And just being like, oh, all right, cool. Well, then we can talk about it. And that's like on air, especially because of Laura. Laura brings out the vulnerability in people. We hear this phrase on the podcast all the time. Well, I've never said this before, but boom, something vulnerable. And you're just like, no way. Like people come on and they're really honest, they're really vulnerable. And it's it like, it means so much to us that people would, would feel safe talking to our audience in a really vulnerable way. And being vulnerable, that changed me. Being vulnerable with my kids. Like when Laura went through cancer, learning to be sad and to grieve in front of my kids, not knowing how this would turn out. And Laura, go, I mean, Laura went through facial reconstructive surgery to remove cancer that had grown in her face. And it was gnarly, like, she had so many stitches and she couldn't eat well and she couldn't hold liquid in and there was numbness and pain. And you know, when your kids are like, well, how are you? You can't say you're fine because you're not. Mm -hmm. And biologically, they know you're not. Biologically and, I mean, if you've adopted kids and they've been in your home for, you know, 
a year, they know when you're not fine and you can't tell them that you're fine. It was like two years ago, Laura was deep into chemo and it was super gnarly. And my kids just went nuts. Like they were fighting with each other and they were hitting and they were biting. And I mean, it was like they were thin skinned and they would cry and they would yell. Like they were just acting up so much and I couldn't figure it out. I remember being with my therapist and being like, I don't know what is going on with my kids. And he was like, well, what's going on with Laura and the cancer? And I'm like, oh, dude, it's awful. Like she was way into chemo and it was causing, she had advanced squamous cell carcinoma, which is a skin cancer in her mouth and her lip. And she had to do chemo in her mouth and on her lip and it would cause an open sore. Like her entire bottom lip was like a literal bloody open sore. I don't want to be gross, but that's what it was. And so she would put chemo on at night it would eat the skin away and the day it would heal a little bit or it would scab over. And then if she smiled or if she talked in a certain way or if she ate food, it would crack open and it would be real and it would bleed and it would be painful. And she was embarrassed, right? Like it was, she's a woman, it's in her face. Like it's not like, you know, it's a sore on her knee where she's covering it up. Like it's the first thing you see when you see her. And I was like, it's super gnarly. And he was like, do you think that has anything to do with what your kids are going through? And I was like, oh. They just couldn't handle it. They didn't have the skills to deal with the amount of pain we were all going through. And like, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s Christian parenting books is a lot of behavioral management. The theory is your kid's gonna do X amount of stuff you don't like and with punishment and consequences and rules, you could just stop, you can get them to stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. Well, okay, but why do you think they're doing those things? Are they getting bullied in school? Did they have someone break up with them? Did someone say something they mean to them? Did they do bad on a test? Do they feel ashamed of themselves? Is, does their mom going through cancer and, and is looking at massive surgery and they don't know how to deal with those? Like, I can't punish my kids for having thin skin because they can't, like, I would just go to the garage and cry. Like, dude, I went into my garage. I would go to my garage and just weep because I couldn't bear to do it in front of my kids and then they yelled at each other and me. And I was like, oh, they need to see me cry. They need to see me not have it all together. They need to see and understand I don't have the answer and that I'm relying on Jesus to get us through this. Like, is she gonna make it? Is she gonna die? I don't know. Like, kids know what cancer means. It means death every now and then. Like they know it. They needed to see it. And then they needed me to give them way, way more grace in their handling poorly that their mom's going through cancer. They needed so much more grace and so much more love and so much more hugs and so much more we're going to get through it. And that's the other thing too, man. So one of the guys that comes to Holy Smokes is a uh, army chaplain here in town. Yeah. And he and I were talking about this. A couple weeks ago, we were at a mops group and this mom came up and like, they're having a hard time in their marriage, a hard, hard time. And I told her, I said, right now in this moment, your marriage has a greater potential for greatness than ever before. And she looked at me like I am on crack. Like, they're talking about separation right now and I'm telling them how great their marriage can be. And it's because of the battles. It's because of the hard times. 
My marriage is strong today because we've been through two bouts of cancer. My marriage is strong because we've been through marital problems and, and not liked each other at times. That's why our marriage is strong. And Jody, he's like, oh, that's called battle tested. Like, who do you want to go to war with? A guy that's been through seven tours or the guy that's fresh out of boot camp? Like, oh, bro, I want the guy that's been through seven tours. I want the guy with PTSD. I want the guy that wakes up screaming at night. I want the guy that remembers that stuff. He's battle tested. He's been through that. When you go through hard times in your marriage and your parenting and you go through it, you don't get over it. Yeah. You go through it. When you've done that, you will be battle tested. Like we had been through so many things before cancer. I was like, oh, we'll get through this. Like truthfully, I was so cocky when Laura got diagnosed with cancer. I was like, dude, we've been through worse. We're going to full on. We're going to kick cancer's butt. We're going to get, I got knocked on my rear. I got kicked in the teeth. I didn't know what we were going through. I mean, I failed hard through cancer. I was ugly during cancer. You find out who your friends are too. Find the people that like you when you're ugly. Find the people that are stoked that you reach out when you're at your ugliest. Get a spouse that wants to be there when you're ugly. Do my friends Zach and Sarah, I was over at their place when Laura was going through chemo and I like full on erupted. I was so inappropriate and Sarah giggled for so long and I was like, why is this funny? She's like, oh, it's not. I just love that you can be yourself around us. She's like, I love ugly Ryan. And I was like, whoa, that's a friend. A friend giggles at your inappropriateness and is like, I'm so glad you feel comfortable enough to be like this around us. When, so a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, yeah. we were in California for uh, Christmas. We were getting ready to fly home. And instead of flying home on a Sunday, we went to the ER and found out Laura had, had to have emergency appendectomy surgery. And the doctor said, had we tried to fly home, she would have died. Wow. Like legit, he said, she wouldn't have made it. She would have died on the way to the hospital. You couldn't land and get to a hospital fast enough for the sepsis not to take over. Like you would have watched her die. Like it was so gnarly, so gnarly. And I was freaking out. Like we were staying with our friends and they were watching the kids and I'm in the hospital with Laura and I'm losing my mind just over that fact. Like the doctor's like, you're going to be fine. She's going to be fine. We're for sure going to get through this. You're in a hospital. It hasn't burst yet. It's going to be okay. We got this. But just that revelation, like, dude, once again, totally. like how many more times will I hear your wife yes. almost died? Like, right. I don't want to lose her. I love my wife. Same. Yep. And Laura goes, hey, you've not eaten in seven hours. Go get food. It's going to be four hours before my surgery. You're fine. I'll be okay. The doctors are here. They've got me on great pain meds. I can't feel anything. Go get some food. And I was like, fine. So I went and I'm at this noodle shop. And I had posted on Instagram, like, pray for Laura. She's having surgery. And don't show up. Like, don't come to the hospital. Yeah. And my friend Johnny shows up at the hospital. <laughs> Laura calls me. She's like, Johnny's here. I'm like, Johnny Brock? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, what's he doing here? She's like, he's coming to see you. So I'm going to send him over to where you are. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he gets there and he's like, well, I knew you didn't mean me. And I didn't. Again, I vented to him in the noodle shop. It was so inappropriate. He laughed so hard. He had lost his wife a couple years earlier after a heart-lung transplant. He knew what was going through my head. He had been in my shoes and worse. He couldn't care less. 
He loves me. He knows me. I've known this dude for a decade. He knows all the things about me. He knows all my secrets. He was like, bro, I saw your post. I knew you didn't mean don't show up me. And I didn't. I didn't mean that. When Laura had cancer surgery, my friend Jamie Jo showed up at the hospital. She's like, I knew you didn't mean me. And I knew you'd be alone. I knew you'd reject every bit of help you could possibly get. And you're going to sit here and panic and freak out the whole time. What was I doing? I was freaking out in the hospital by myself. And she came and showed up. And she's like, dude, how stupid. Of course you need somebody. Those are the good friends. That's what gets you through those times. That's what strengthens your marriage and your friendships and your parenting. Failing and being around people that can handle it. All right. Let's go back to your biological mom. (laughs) Because this is honestly, I think... It's a story that you, when we worked together at Family Talk, yeah, I remember you distinctly saying, I don't know if I want to because I've never had a story that has worked out. Yeah. Yeah, I've known probably a hundred adopted kids that have sought out their biological parents, and I don't know if I know five where it's gone well. So talk about that story. Well, and there's a reason for it. Yeah. Especially with people that are my age or older. If you're in your 50s, Your adoption was a closed adoption. Uh, It was a teenager. There was so much shame and guilt surrounding it. We were not as accepting as as we are today about adoption. So you reach out to that person 47 years later. Maybe they have a new family. Maybe that family doesn't know. Maybe that Band-Aid shouldn't be ripped off. And literally most, most oftentimes it goes poorly. So that was part of it. The other part is my last name. What if they hate my dad, right? What if they say something like, oh my gosh, if I knew my child was gonna go to that homophobic, bigot, right wing, blah, 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 I never would have given you up. There's that side of it. What if they're a super fan? What if they've seen the film series and they've read all the books and now they wanna be best friends because of who we are. I don't know if I want to open that can of worms. And so I had never reached out. I'd never sought anybody. I'd never, you know, and I just started toying with it on uh, Ancestry.com. I knew first names of my biological parents, first names of siblings, first names of grandparents, and approximate ages. And so when Ancestry.com came out, I input all that material knowing someday the data pool would get big enough to where it would give me a hit. And I knew it would take a long time for the data pool to grow that large. And so I wasn't really worried about it. Yeah. And man, what is this cigar? It's a one-off by Lucione. Ooh, it's really, really good. I know. Mm. Like I've said it on the podcast before, that was the first cigar I fell in love with. It's so nice. Uh, I, there was a, uh, there's a place called the pie bar by our house. It's 3.14, the pie bar, but it also, they serve like pot pie and shepherd's pie and regular pie. And I was up there one night, screwing on my computer, eating uh, peach pie. And I got a big hit on ancestry. Cause I mean, I had done this like literally a decade ago when it first came out every year or two, I would look no hits. And I was sitting at the pie bar and a big hit happened. Uh, And I was like, whoa, no way. I wonder if I'll find out who these people are. Uh, And so I used a little bit of that information and then I went into Facebook and uh, started looking around. 
And there were two very distinct tracks with the same name. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I belonged to either. I was searching for about me to find out, do your parents have these names? And so I found two that had first name bio mom, first name bio grandma matched. And I'm looking for one more hit, right? So I hit the about me on bio grandma and it says married. I'm like, no way, this is it. I'm going to find it. And it comes up married, but didn't list the name. And I'm like, ah, fine. It'll be another couple years. So I start searching through potential bio grandma's photos and they're really cute. Like you can tell they have a fun family. They go to costume parties and they have lots of friends and they're cute and older and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, like out of a movie, I flip to the next one and it's a picture of potential bio grandma and her husband and he has a name tag on, but it's really small. And I realize if I can figure out what it says and it says the right name, I found him. And so I blew up that name tag to full screen. I was at home, I'd gotten done my pie, I'm at home. It's around 11.30 at night, Laura's asleep, kids are asleep. I blow it up to the size of the screen it says Robert, and I fell out of my chair. I fell on the floor, and it was like, this is it. This is them. So I'm bawling, like ugly bawling. I am, <laughs> I am ugly crying for sure. And I wake Laura up, and I'm bawling, and she can't figure out why I'm crying, right? Like, I can't even talk. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I do, but it was like, I don't know, so overwhelming. And I go, I found her. And she instantly, like she didn't even know I was searching. She didn't know I was at Pie Bar looking at it. By the time I got home, she was asleep. And she goes, no way. And I go, this is who she is. So found bio mom, bio grandma and grandpa. And then I'm just like, I mean, deep dive. I went hardcore nerdcore on this one. I I went on a deep dive. And then, so just without even thinking, I friended all of them on Facebook. I friended my aunts. I friended my uncle. I friend my grandparents. I friend my bio mom. Not thinking what the repercussions might be. Like, it, I didn't even, you know, like, what do you do? Yeah. I get no friend requests. Like, I get no acceptances in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oof, okay, you know. So I start digging deeper. And through a long series of events, I found my bio grandma's email address. And I didn't really know what to do. But one of the things I've, I do as a living is I'm a charity fundraiser. I fundraise for nonprofits. I've done it for gospel rescue missions. I've done it for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've done it for Young Life. And the big one I do is pregnancy resource centers and adoption homes. I've done hundreds of events in the pro-life community. And I've told my adoption story. It's been a beautiful story. It turned out really well for me. But I've always said, the one thing I'd like to do is say thank you. I'd love to say thank you because at that time in our nation's history, you could get an abortion. It was harder because Roe v. Wade hadn't passed yet, but abortions were available. And it was also much more shameful to get pregnant out of wedlock back then. Mm -hmm. Our society accepts that pretty openly now. And I wrote my bio grandma and grandpa an email saying thank you. And the words came from the Lord. It just... I remember opening it with, I, you know, <laughs> my name is 
Ryan, I was born on July 12th, 1970, to your daughter. I don't know how you feel about that time in your life. Maybe this will shed some light on it. And I just talked about, I'm not needy, I'm not looking for anything, but I've got a great life. I'm married, I've got neat kids. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have this life without you and your support and your sacrifice. I wouldn't, I mean, I've lived the life of 10 people in adventure. I've had the most adventurous life. I've been around the world. I've met presidents. Yeah. I, I fly fished in, in Alaska. Like, I am so blessed. I'm so, so, so blessed. I wouldn't have this life without you. I thank the Lord every day for your sacrifice. Thank you so much. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your sacrifice. I thank God for you on a regular basis. And one of the jobs that I have is getting to help other people in that situation and I get to tell my story. Thank you for letting me do that too. And then I closed it with, I understand if you don't want contact, I totally get it. And I'd love to say thank you to your your daughter if you'd let me. Uh, here's my email address. Here's my phone number. Love, Ryan. Uh, Full-on radio silence for like two weeks. And I just thought, okay. And here's the truth, Steve. Honestly, yeah. I felt complete. Mm. I got to say thank you. I've been dying to say thank you for so long. I got to. Yeah. I got my wish. Yeah. I had never wished for some tearful Oprah reunion all of, I really didn't. I didn't think it was possible, but I got to say thank you. And two weeks later, I get a text saying, hey, Ryan, this is so-and-so. I guess you could say your mom. And she said, this is the happiest day of my life. I always thought I made the right decision, and now I know I did. I'm so grateful. Like it was, it, here's the truth, it was the Oprah story. I don't believe in the Oprah story, and yeah. it was. It was that, it was the Disney version. Like, Laura, I have photos, like Laura took pictures of me holding my phone up with the text, like, look what I got. Yeah. And then what do you do? Like, do you just call? Yeah. I mean, it's, for sure the most overwhelming situation I've be- ever been involved in. Like, yeah. for sure the most. I've shed more tears of joy over this than anything else almost in my life. And uh, so we started texting. I called her from the old office. So I apologize to people. Steve and I are really good friends and he engineers all my podcasts. So he knows. Yeah. I'm just giving him context for, yeah. like, Laura knew I was gonna call. She went in the other room. I called by myself, like I set it up with her, and we talked for the first time, and like I got to tell her about my life. Like I've published books, and I've met presidents, and she was like, what? I'm like, I know, I can't (laughs) believe I'm telling someone this. Like I got to just say thank you, and, and I mean, she came out to visit, she and my three aunts came to visit me, and they're, they knew of my dad, but they weren't like super fans. We grew up in the same area. Like one of my aunts manages a supermarket that I used to go to as my main supermarket, right? Like I've been in the room with her for sure on multiple occasions, we just didn't know it. My biological uncle went to youth group in high school with my sister and my parents knew him. He's been to our house before. (laughs) 
We have photos of him in the background of high school photos of my sister with the youth group at our house. Yeah. Like, such a small world. I've been a visitor a few times. So on Christmas Day, they do in-law Christmas. And then the first weekend in January, they do a giant family Christmas. They're all Norwegians. They're hardcore Norwegians. My bio sister has an award for axe throwing at the Norwegian festival, like <laughs> hardcore Norwegians. A year ago, I went to their big family Christmas. I met 35 relatives. Yeah. Like, oh my, I had the biggest panic attack of my life. Like, yeah, it's really, really cool. It's still overwhelmed. Like she just had a birthday a couple days ago. I got to text her, happy birthday. What do your parents think about yeah, this? Yeah, that's always the next question. Um, it was brand new for them. Right, like it was a closed adoption. They knew nothing about my bio family, and I didn't know how to tell them. Like, how do you break it to them? Right, like I had never really been on the search. It would be new to them. Yeah, my son is super intuitive. So, fine. My dad had been out of town for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, we could never meet up at the right time. Laura was out of town. My parents were in town. I finally was like, we have to meet tonight. And they were like, okay, come over for dinner. And I was like, great. So we come over, and Lincoln on the way he goes, "Are you nervous, Daddy?" And I was like, what, y yes? And he goes, do you think it will make Jempon Maymay anxious that you've met your bio mom? Do you think it will make them feel weird? And I'm like, what, shut up, you're 10, stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course I do. Why are you asking me these questions? Like he's so intuitive, he's such a great kid. So he brings his Nintendo Switch with him. Mm -hmm. Lucy's gonna watch TV, he's gonna play Switch while I talk to my parents. And that stinker, He's like, I'm gonna go play Switch. And he's like giving me the look like, are you gonna tell him now? And I'm like, get out, like stop, you know? He's so great. He leaves the room, turns a corner and sits next to the door, turns his Switch off so he can listen to the conversation so he can ask me about it later. He listened to my whole stinking conversation, that little stink. And so I read them the letter I wrote your... to my grandparents, yes. my bio-grandparents, yeah. Mom caught on immediately. It took dad a while to figure out what I was talking about. <laughs> Your mom's a special lady. Oh, I the, love her. The best, right? The best. We just had Thanksgiving with them early because they go to the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. Okay. So we had early Thanksgiving with them. And then they had a million questions, right? Like a million. And I didn't have like tons of answers. And, you know, it makes them a little anxious. It's definitely gotten easier over time. They've not met. I don't think I'm going to have them meet. It just seems a little weird. But they are so grateful to her because they get to have a son, right? Like, yeah. my mom just said, please, please tell her how much we love her and how grateful we are for her sacrifice and how grateful and thankful we are that she made the choices that she did that allowed us to have a son. Like, Yes, it makes them nervous. Yes, it makes them anxious. Here's the truth. It makes me love my parents more. I don't know how to explain that, but it's like when you have two kids. Like I just, I've been listening to a podcast right now and the guy's got one son and his new son was being born the very next day. And he's like, you know, I don't want to make my, my little guy feel bad. Like, oh, now dad's going to split his love and you're clearly not going to have enough love. You're clearly going to have to like share your love with them. And I want to reach out and be like, no, 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 you get more. Okay. You get more. You don't love your second kid less than the first. You don't split love with them 
God gives you more love. Like you don't realize, like I didn't think I could love anything more than Lincoln when he came out. Like I just couldn't believe I could love so, and then Lucy came along and it's like, I have more love. Like it's that overflowing abundance kind of thing. And meeting my bio family makes me love my parents more. I don't know how to explain that, but it does. It makes me love them more. We don't talk about it a lot. Like it's not like a long discussion. They wanted to know like, it was really funny. My dad is such an interviewer. He's been doing it for so long that after, can I tell a funny story? Absolutely. So my bio mom comes to visit with my two aunts and they spend the weekend and they stayed in their own place and like we went to Manitou together to the little town and we went to church together, we went to eat together and they came to our house and all of that. And then they left on a Friday, I wanna say a Friday. No, 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 it was a Monday because we went to church together. Left on a Monday and then I called my parents that night. And my mom's been waiting like, like, all right, what happened? How is this gonna ha- be? Like she wanted to know, you know what I mean? Like she's got questions. So I call and my dad picks up and he has forgotten. So we're doing small talk and he's telling me about work and all these things and I don't know how to bring it up. Like, how do I bring up like, hey, uh, the bio mom just left. Do you want to ask me about that? Like, I didn't know what to say. And apparently my mom is standing looking over my dad, like tapping her foot, like impatiently waiting. And he goes, your mom keeps trying to get on the phone. And I'm like, oh no. My mom knows what's taken place. My dad has forgotten. So my mom gets on the phone too. And my dad just keeps on with the conversation we were having. And I can hear my mom breathing and she's mad. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you can tell by the breath what's taking place. And she's getting madder that he won't ask me about it. And I don't know what to say. I don't know how to bring it up. And finally she goes, Jim, Ryan's bio mom came and spent the last four days with him. Do you think you want to ask him about that? And he's like, oh, uh, uh, um, well, that's got to be far more interesting than what I'm talking about. Well, well, tell me what happened. Like, he backpedaled like a champ in the spot. It was so awesome. It was so awesome. And so I, you know, told him, you know, yeah. it was so great. But I realized he would have had a plan. Yeah. I want to know all of these things. I've got a frame of reference I'm coming from. And so he would have asked very specific questions about all, I didn't have that. Like, dude, if it could have gone wrong, it did before she came out. Like our house is under construction. The contractor promised they'd be done. They were literally in my house, like like when she showed up. So then we didn't get them to come to our house. We had to go to a restaurant. The restaurant we went to lost our reservation. They had an hour wait. Then we found another restaurant close by that said, we've got a table right now. We meet over there. The table's not ready. It's not going to be ready for 30 minutes. It's getting late. Like all the things happened. We met in a parking lot, not where, you know. Yeah. It was like, here's the truth. If it was going to go bad, it would have. Because every plan I had didn't go the way I wanted it to, it went the way the Lord wanted it to. Like, it showed how gracious they are as a family, how much they love each other. Uh, It was super cool. Super, super cool. Yeah, it's great. It's added now to my adoption story. Like, now when I go do fundraisers for PRCs, Pregnancy Resource Centers, like, I get to tell people, 
my story and my journey and thank them for their work in the pro-life community because because of people like that, I get the story I have. Like I get this much joy because people work in the pro-life industry in the pro-life community. Like I get this story. I mean, I've dude, if I thought I raised money before, bro, with this story, people are like writing checks. It's hilarious, <laughs> but they should. Like it's like, I don't feel bad. I have a great story. It's super unique. And then people get to come up and ask me a million questions and I get to talk to them about it. Like, it's awesome. It is super, it's still totally overwhelming. Like, so overwhelming. I'm so unprepared. Like, Laura and my bio mom text way more than I do because I'm still just, like, it's been two years. I'm still freaked out by it. Like, I can't believe, I keep waiting for the shoe to drop. You know what I mean? Like, it's just my temperament, I guess. But it doesn't. Like I texted her happy birthday, happy birthday. And she's like, oh my goodness, I love you so much. And I'm like, oh, my mommy loves me, right? (laughs) And again, like I had, so my kids call her grandma, well, let's say her name is Joyce. It's not, but they they call her grandma Joyce. Yeah. And I had someone just tear into me. Like she hasn't earned the right to be called grandma. And if I was your parents, I would be so mad. Like just lay, whatever. It's, that's not my issue. She's got something else going on, right? Yeah. Like there's something else in her life yeah. that's causing that. It's like, okay. We went to Disneyland with my bio mom. A year ago for Christmas, she bought Disney tickets for me, Laura, and the kids, and her daughter and her nephew, and we spent the day at Disney together and had a ball, like had a ball, tons of fun. Oh yeah, it's a miracle. Like, it's a miracle. It's so shocking. All right, let's talk about rebel parenting. What is rebel parenting? Rebel parenting is my ministry. It is a podcast. It's currently four times a week. And the people we put on have changed our lives in some way. Mm. I mean, you know this. You've worked at Focus and at Family Talk, and you work for tons of podcasts. Sometimes when you do four or five days a week, you put people on because you have to, right? Like you've got to put a program out, so you put someone on. Yeah. We just decided not to do that. So we do re-airs if we need to, but it, we get so many books every day. Lots of them are garbage. And the last thing I want is to give somebody a resource and they invest their time into it and it doesn't work. Nobody wants that. Yeah. We don't have enough time. We're super busy. And so the people we have on, I mean, their resources are legit, solid, solid resources. And I mean, it's, this is the thing people don't know. My dad gets censored on the radio all the time. Like, you know this. Yeah. Traditional Christian radio does not like hard, controversial topics. They don't like pornography, they don't like abortion, and they don't like abuse, and they don't like addiction. There's lots and lots of shows that certain, well, there's, there are denominations that don't believe in therapy and counseling. So if you talk about going to therapy, they won't play that. There are stations that say they are safe for the whole family. Well, if it's safe for the whole family, you're not gonna talk about addiction and abuse and abortion and, and divorce. Sex. And sex, and none of those topics. And when I was at Family Talk, I saw the marriages 
close to me. Like you go through those phases in life where you go through that phase where everybody's getting married, right? Like everybody's getting married around the same time. And then shortly thereafter, everybody's having kids. And then they're going through all the early kid stuff. Well, we started going through that phase where people were getting divorced at a regular basis. And the things that were causing the divorce were loneliness, pornography, addiction, every now and then abuse, but those hardcore topics, past trauma because of abortion or because of abuse that would kill a sex life, lack of sex, all those things were really hitting marriages that we knew of and we couldn't talk about it on traditional Christian radio very often. Uh, it was the rarity that we did those types of programs. And so we quit Family Talk to start Rebel Parenting. Our very first program was on pornography addiction. And I got to tell you, we got so much pushback before we aired that first program. People were like, Ryan, like you got to ease people into that. You can't start with that. Like, that's not a really inviting program. Like, hey, let's talk about pornography addiction, like day one. And I was like, but it's hurting marriages. Like, this is what's affecting marriages. We gotta talk about it. They're like, well, you can, but you gotta give, you know, you gotta let people get used to you guys first. And I'm like, no, I don't think we do. I think we just talk about it first day. So we did. Uh, that was our number one most listened to podcast. Cindy Beal, Rebuilding a Marriage Better Than New. Her husband had taken the worship leader position at lifechurch.tv based out of Oklahoma. Massive, massive, massive mega church. They do 250,000 people a weekend now. And six weeks into his job, he confessed to pornography addiction, that he'd been cheating on his wife, Mm. that the woman was pregnant, it was probably his child. And they didn't get divorced. He stepped down, went to work at Home Depot, went through a reconciliation rebuilding process, put some rules on his, like got rid of a smartphone, went to a dumb phone, didn't have access to a laptop or a computer, didn't have Wi-Fi at home, like they separated for a while, like all that stuff. Well, it's now been, now we've aired it a few times, it's now been like 18 years and she says, rebuilding a marriage better than new. And she would say, our marriage is better today because of that addiction, because we found out about it, because we went through it, because we didn't get divorced. And now we can tell people, you can make it. You can make it. Like we talk about, we talk about addiction. Not only that, I have an addictive personality. I've struggled with addiction in my past. I've had to get help for it. It's at the exact same time, I'm very proud that I got help. I'm also embarrassed that I had to get help. But addiction runs biologically in my family. Like I now know that. Um, And so we have very different conversations about alcohol and drugs with my kids because by birth, they could struggle with that greater than someone else. Like I come to Holy Smokes and I have people ask me all the time, like, like, is it okay for you to be here? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. Like I've taken the steps where I don't care if anybody drinks. I don't care what you do. Like I live in Colorado, man. Like half the population smokes weed now. Like probably not half, but dude, it's a lot. But I, I also understand that I have an addictive personality. It's not that I don't struggle with it. Yeah. I just don't struggle with it like I used to. So we talk about that on air. It's really scary. Like we run a ministry and I talk about having struggles with depression. And when I do, it's like, no one's ever gonna listen again. No one's ever gonna listen again if they know I'm depressed. 
Like no one's ever going to listen to me if they know I, I've, I've struggled with addiction in my past. No one's ever going to listen to us again. But then what we get is the email is like, man, thank you. Like I get the emails from addicts. It's heartbreaking. But I oh, mean, I know tons of those guys now, right? And here's like, we had Johnny Baker on the program. He's the president of Celebrate Recovery. It's like the Christian 12-step program. Mm-hmm. And I ask him, because I know the answer. If someone struggles with, struggles with addiction and they go through a 12-step or they go to rehab or they go get help, they go to counseling, what's the likelihood of them falling off the wagon? Well, it's probably 80-90%. Now, Johnny preaches you can be the exception to the rule. And I'm like, sure. You also have to let couples understand and know it's probably not going to happen first time around. They're probably going to fall off the wagon. Don't let it be the end of the world. Don't set up those ultimatums. Like if you fall off the wagon one more time, that's it. We're net, you know, like, and I understand there are times where you need to separate. I understand where you've decided you just can't live with addiction in your home any longer. I'm just saying it's more than likely they'll fall off the wagon. Be happy for the sobriety. Be sad for the mistake. Get back on the wagon. Let's keep going in the same direction. Like just be honest whether it's pornography or sugar or alcohol or weed or heroin, or whatever it is, it's really hard to kick those things. And it's self-soothing. There's trauma from your past that soothes you and you soothe with a substance. I was talking to a guy that he started drinking during rotations in med school. And I said, oh, really? What was that like? And he goes, oh, my goodness, it was terrible. I don't have any idea what it's like to go through rotations. So you're finally going to become a doctor, and you start seeing patients. You're not a full-fledged doctor yet, but you're almost a doctor. And I go, what's that like? And he goes, well, your superiors tell you what a piece of dirt you are. He didn't say dirt. What a piece of dirt you are every day and what a worthless doctor you are and that you're never going to amount to anything, and then people die in front of you. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, it happens all the time. Like you see death as an ER doc, as a regular doc, you see death all the time. And I'm like, how old were you? And he's like, 31. And I was like, what? Dude, at 31, you're a baby. Like you don't have the skills to deal with that. Like you don't have any of the skills, the tools to deal with death and to deal with rejection and to deal with failure and all those things. Well, of course you drank. My goodness. How many doctors do you know drink? All of them. Like, oh my goodness. Of course. Right? Of course you did. So I told him, like, what you need to do is get into therapy. And you've got to go back and deal with that time in your life. Learn those. Because when you have someone die on the operating table, that's what comes up. Your 31-year-old self comes up feeling like you're never going to amount to anything. Someone just died at your hands. Like that God complex. Like some trauma happened in your life. With him, I know specifically what it was. And he does too. You know, got a good chunk of sobriety fell off the wagon, his wife called, we got together, we went back into therapy, back on the wagon again, right? Like, it's, and it's scary for the spouse. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. is this what it's gonna always be like? Am I ever gonna have safety again? Am I ever gonna feel safe around you? Man, I get it. It's even harder with porn, right? Like, because you feel, the, the wife or the husband, I mean, feels uniquely and specifically rejected. Like, oh, what, I'm not enough for you? Like, all those questions come in. And it's like, you know what? Men are targeted by porn. It, oftentimes it happens as a teen and there's a self-soothing with that as well. And you can get through it. You can get through those times. So we talk about 
it's not every time, but do we talk about some gnarly stuff on the air? Like we talk about some hardcore things, but people get help, man. Like it's the craziest thing. We had a guy that got suicidal and I was speaking at an event and my producer was there and she was like posting some stuff on Facebook while I was doing it and a message came in with a guy that was suicidal and she recognized his name from watching the podcast on Facebook Live mm-hmm. and reached out to him and said, hey, we're praying for you, we care about you, we love you, we appreciate you. And then she reached out to his wife and um, he wrote me and said, I couldn't believe you responded and I was kind of hoping you wouldn't so I'd have an excuse to end my life. And I was like, Ugh. like I go to therapy for that stuff. like." That's hard. And his wife is like, thank you so much. Like he's gotten a ton of healing and she's got her husband back. Like kids have their daddy. So we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I can't believe I get to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I've been there. Like I've been in the hard times in marriage. I've been in the hard times in parenting. And when you can get through those things and you're like, dude, I love being married. I love having my wife. I love that she can be as ugly around me as possible. And it's like, yeah, that's my babe, right? Like yeah. I can be that with her. My kids can fail around me. I love being, I watch my son play video games. Like who would have thought? Like I sit on the couch and I read a book and he plays Fortnite. And then every now and then between games, he'll be like, daddy. And I go, yeah. And he goes, I put my book down. He asks me questions and we talk, you know, it's cool. It's really cool. It's a huge, huge blessing. I love doing it. The podcast is Rebel Parenting. Yeah, rebelparenting.org is our website. website. You can tell who we are on iTunes and Spotify and all that. Because Laura's been through cancer a few times, she's also dyed her hair pink a couple times. I totally dig it. She doesn't have it right now, but in our photo on iTunes, she has pink hair. So it's pretty easy to see which couple we are. And it's called Rebel Parenting. So, you know, it's just we're rebelling against absentee parenting, we're rebelling against dead marriages. We're rebelling against not being vulnerable and honest. We're rebelling against, you know, being quiet. So we're pretty loud in our podcast, in our life. Ryan Dobson. Ah. Thank you, you, man. Love you, brother. You too. Let's get to rapid fire questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hit me. Hey, everyone. Before we get to Ryan's rapid fire questions, I want to talk about today's sponsor, Blinkist. You're about to hear Ryan's love of reading. Well, I'm a huge fan of a service that I subscribed to last year called Blinkist. Blinkist provides summaries of many of the top books on the market. Each book summary is divided into short blinks, hence the name Blinkist. And most of the summaries you can read in less than 15 minutes. If you're interested in leadership, check out The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People. If you want to brush up on your marketing, how about Purple Cow by Seth Godin? We have a 7-day free trial of Blinkist when you go to holysmokes.club slash blink. That's holysmokes.club slash blink. And there you can get access to the entire library of more than 2,500 summaries. Their app is beautifully designed. You can export the summaries to your Kindle, or you can do what I do, which is listen to the audio while I'm reading the blinks in the app before bed to get that audio plus visual reinforcement of learning. If that sounds interesting to you, you can find that affiliate link embedded in the show notes, or again, go to holysmokes.club blink. By using that link, it's an easy way for you to support the costs associated with producing this show. I love Blinkist, and we are confident 
that you and our Holy Smokes audience will love them too. Like I said, the link is in the show notes or go to holysmokes.club slash blank. Now, under Ryan Dobson's rapid fire segment. Rapid fire. Fire. Here. First question is always cigars or pipe. I assume it's cigars. Have you done yeah. a pipe yet? No. I like the cigars. I love the smell of pipes. I'm, I'm into it. I may, I may do that someday, but I really like the cigars. I'm into it now. All right. Favorite cigar? Uh, I like the Cigar International Coffee Knockoff. I really like that one. It's like a $2 stick. It's a sweet tip. It's an everyday, right? Like two yeah. bucks. Give me yeah. a break. Yeah. Um, the Victor Sinclair 15th Anniversary, I really, really like. A smaller one, the Punch Classico, I'm pretty into that. This new one-off that you gave me today, ooh, that's going to be... By Lucione, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. It's a really good one. All right, favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? I don't drink, so I tell you what, I love soda water. My wife was drinking LaCroix like it was going out of business, Mm -hmm. and so I built a seltzer tap in our house. It's essentially a kegerator that you fill with water. Yeah. So I had a mini fridge. I put a five-gallon torpedo keg in it. I bought a 20-pound tank. I ran the lines, and we get, uh, I call it Rebel Seltzer after Rebel Parenting. <laughs> We've got our own brand of Rebel Seltzer. I drink it every day. I really like it. Hit a little lime, a little lemon juice in it. I really, really like that. In the mornings, I love coffee and a cigar. I, I saw guys doing that, and I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. And then I started, yeah. But mostly, it's going to be a seltzer for sure. I dig that. All right, so how long ago was it that you started that Megan and Etienne got you your first cigar? Uh, I think it's been a couple months. Okay, so you're relatively new. Oh, brand new. I'm a baby. Are you kidding? For sure. All right. But I've got such experienced people around me, I can just say, hey, I kind of like this. And they go, oh, I know exactly what you're going to like. And I'm like, all right, great. I love smart, intelligent people that are that nerd out into whatever thing they're into. And with cigars, man, people will go hardcore. Most memorable cigar experience in the last couple months? Oh, for sure, holy smokes. Yeah, the, the, we do it at a few places here in town, depending on weather. And Paul's house is so unique. Magical. Like, a guy brought um, homemade venison summer sausage that he made with a little jalapeno. He shot a, a deer... And made it into cheddar jalapeno sausage, and we had that. Um, yeah, sitting around the fire pits. I love it when guys bring their wives. I like seeing the interaction of couples. It's so special to me. Like, I'm such a creep. I watch couples all the time wherever I go. I watch fam- I was on the airplane with this family, and they were so cute. They were so cute. They were Pakistani, I could tell, and they were so in tuned with their children. They had little kids. I just could not help myself. When we got off the flight, I said, you guys are great parents. It is so neat to watch you with your kids and to see what kind of a relationship you have. And they got so embarrassed. They were like, oh, thank you. Like, who are you weirdo that's been watching us on the flight? But it was so cute. So I (laughs) love watching the couples. Megan and ATN are so special. They've been some of my closest friends here in town. Yeah, I love being at the Holy Smokes gatherings. Yeah, I really, really like it. Your go-to place to get smokes. Goodness. 
My vice is cigarbid.com. Ugh, it's terrible. My wife banned me from it for a while. I'm totally not allowed to go on anymore. Uh, Thompson Cigars or uh, Cigar International? Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, Star Wars. My son is now at the right age. I love this. So I let him watch the first Star, the good ones, not the three garbage ones that came with no those were just garbage but um the original star wars return of the jedi uh empire strikes back when he was like eight i let him watch the first one we were on vacation we're in palm springs my friend dave came out uncle dave was there he had already played all the star wars lego games so we let him watch star wars for the first time and we get done and he's just silent and i go hey buddy what'd you think and he goes I wish it would never end. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gracious, that's the greatest movie review ever. Can you imagine being a filmmaker and the review you get of your film is, I wish it would never end. Like, what a brilliant, brilliant a review of a film. So we've watched all the Star Wars together. We go to all the, all the ones in the theater now. Yeah. We can't wait for the new one to come out. And then we just watched... All of the newer Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams and yeah. beyond Star Trek yeah. movies, a little harder core than the Star Wars ones, uh, but he really liked those too. Uh, but I, I really didn't watch Star Wars, I mean, a Star Trek TV show. Yeah. I wasn't that into it. I've tried, like I want to watch Doctor Who, but I just haven't gotten into it. I'm like, yeah. eh, I don't know, okay. Marvel or DC? Which one is Spider-Man a part of? Marvel. Yeah. I like them both. I'm more partial to Marvel now. Is DC Batman? Yes. Ooh, golly. So Batman changed the genre. Like when it was um, Batman Begins and Batman Returns, Mm -hmm. making the grittier, darker, like Lincoln's not watched any of those. Like none, like he's watched all the Marvel, like Avengers ones, but like not the hardcore DC ones. And it made it, like all the kids that collected comics, like I collected comics when I was younger, it allowed it to be more of an adult partaking. So I, I do appreciate DC highly for reintroducing the genre. I got to tell you though, when Tom Howard and Robert Downey, when Tom Howard was dying after Thanos snapped the fingers, bro, I, got, I was not prepared. I forgot. Someone told me like it's kind of hard at the end. I got emotional. It was good. Yeah, I really like him. Yep, I'm into it. Nickname, growing up or in college. My dad called me Tigger growing up because I was bouncy, bouncy, bouncy. Yeah. My parents just told my kids that for the first time. Yeah. My mom gave, What did your daughter think? My mom gave her a Tigger book and then announced that that's what my nickname was. So she loves that I was Tigger growing up. My dad called me Rerai. Only two people have ever called me that successfully. My dad and then uh, Robert Wolgamuth. He's my author agent, and I've known him for a billion years, and I let him call me that. Nobody else gets to call me that, no. Nicknamed by your friends in Dobson. college? Okay. Yeah, nothing. Just Dobson. Mm-mm. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I've broken all my toes, all my fingers, and my nose, and when my nose bleeds at all... All of your toes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I broke my whole foot, all my toes in one foot at one time, and, and at one... All of them. I broke five toes at once. What? Yeah. What's the story? It's really not that hard. A lot of guys have done it. I like martial arts. I did karate when I was younger. 
if you kick a heavy bag in the wrong spot with the wrong positioning, you'll break your toes. Ooh. Yeah, it's terrible. And you can't do anything. They don't splint toes. I have the ugliest feet in the world. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and when my nose bleeds, it only bleeds out of the left side. What's your favorite food? Ooh. Oh, so I'm a bit obsessive. I have an obsessive side of me. I don't just kind of get into something. I dive head first completely into something. And in the last few years, I just dove into steaks. And so making a ribeye steak is my favorite, favorite thing. And I, I can't go to steakhouses anymore. My steaks are better. I don't mean that pridefully. You, anybody can do it. Yeah. Uh, look up what sous vide cooking is. S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E. You can get a sous vide cooker for really cheap. Um, sous vide steaks are hands down the greatest steak you'll ever put in your mouth. You can do it at home for totally, totally cheap. Yeah. I sous vide it at like 1.30. It cooks in a water bath. Just look it up online on Google. You'll figure it out. But my trick, the big trick is... So you cook it at 1.30, it cooks completely through, and then you've got to sear it. Some people do, um, they'll butter baste it in a cast iron. Totally, you can do that. I get a charcoal chimney starter for a barbecue. I fill it with charcoal, and I light it, and then I put a grate on top of it. Yeah. And then in about 30 minutes, it's about 900 degrees, and you sear it for maybe 60 seconds on a side, and it will give it a full sear with the marks, the whole deal. That smoky, charcoal-y on a real fatty ribeye, oh, it will just, it'll ruin your life. It's so good. I just made them the other night. I, before I put them in the vacuum sealer, I do uh, Maldon salt, pepper, and garlic powder. That's all I put on it. Oh, bro. Oh, it's so, I could eat that the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Toilet paper, over or under? Oh, oh, goodness gracious. Over. Please. Okay, so it matters. Bangs are fine, mullets are not. <laughs> Favorite book? Not titled the Bible. Uh, here's the truth. I read every day. I read three or four books at a time. My mom got me into reading when I was little. It's embarrassing. I mean, I have an Audible account. I have a Kindle Paperwhite. I am constantly up to my neck in books. I could never give just one, for sure. All right, name off of... I will tell you, the day I learned I would never write a novel is reading Leif Anger's Peace Like a River. It is a breathtaking book. He is a really... I think he's from Colorado. I've been dying to interview him. He doesn't do very many interviews. So for novels, Peace Like a River by Leif Anger... One of my all, I've read it like three times. One of my all time favorites. In sci fi, Neil Stephenson, uh, Cryptonomicon. I've read that four or five times. Um, Neil is one that I've thought about getting into because there's, I've heard. I will gift you. I've got a ton of them on paperback still. I've, I've got all of those on my Kindle now. Yeah. I will tell you for theologians, the two that are standouts for me, one that's been a lifelong standout is. Um, Peter Kreft, Making Sense Out of Suffering by Peter Kreft. Peter Kreft, he's got to be in his 70s now. He surfs. He's a deep theologian. Making Sense Out of Suffering changed my life, for sure. But everything he does, in fact, he has most of his lectures for free online on his website. 
Uh, so Peter Kreft, K-R-E-E-F-T, is a brilliant, brilliant author. And the newest one, Dennis Prager's Rational Bible series. Mm-hmm. He can read and speak Hebrew fluently, and I'm reading his commentary on Genesis. It, it is blowing my hair back. He is so, when you are in the presence of greatness, like I remember when we were both at Family Talk and we were interviewing Chuck Colson. And we took a break and I came into the booth and Christine, our producer was like, hey, you gotta talk more. And I was like, what? She's like, you're not saying anything. And I was like, it's Chuck Colson. Are you kidding me? The guy said, no one wants to hear anything I have to say. And so I asked one question. He goes, oh, Ryan, that was a brilliant question. And I looked at you and I was like, I like was like Chuck Colson thinks I'm smart. Oh my goodness! Like when you're in the presence of greatness, you know it. Yeah, you should listen. That Genesis commentary, he opens it. Dennis Prager opens it with a series of questions, smart questions, and then answers them for you. That will make you a smarter person. Like these are questions that a smart person would ask, and you're like, oh, that is a deep question. I want to know the answer to that now. And he answers them. It is a brilliant commentary. It is brilliant. Oh. One book series that you didn't mention that I'm surprised you didn't, Harry Potter. Oh, I'm, I'm a diehard Harry Potter. Diehard. I read the- And there's in- a reason behind why it's so impactful for you. Oh, you know, it's a kid who's born into greatness and his parents did great things and there's a huge mantle on his shoulders and he doesn't know if he can live up to it and he's famous for something he didn't do. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a similarity in there somewhere. Oh yeah, my son listens to that audiobook essentially on repeat all the time. I read the entire series to him out loud. Uh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm down with Harry Potter for sure. (laughs) All right, last two questions. Mm. If you could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, Mm. who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Uh, Okay, my first one is a tie between Winston Churchill and Douglas MacArthur. Ooh, it's the first MacArthur one. Well, I mean, come on. Can you imagine the juxtaposition of their stories of entering the war and leading the war? Like, I can't even imagine. I mean, Britain was, Britain was so, people don't know this, the whole keep calm and carry on was a campaign they never used. It was, we are going to lose to the Germans. They will take over Britain. And so the poster was going to be put out, keep calm and carry on, essentially, hey, just keep calm, carry on, we will get through this. So hearing the two of their stories to me would be fascinating, fascinating, yeah. fascinating. Current, I'd love to have one with Peter Kreft. I really, really would. And then I know him, he's my spiritual mentor, and I'd really love to smoke a cigar with, with uh, Graham Cook. I mean, he changed my faith. I mean, what a guy. What a guy. At one of my hardest points in life, Laura introduced me to his sermons, and I'm telling you, I, I devoured his sermons. I devoured his sermons. And then I got to meet him, and he was just, oh, he's such a gem. Just an, an amazing, amazing person. Still challenges me regularly on my faith. Still makes me think. Still tells me I'm wrong. You know? But does it in a way that makes you love him? Like, I don't get defensive. I just get convicted at times. And he wouldn't want me to be convicted, right? Like I say that, but it's just my internal voice that gets convicted. I love Graham. I think, hmm, 
For people that don't know Graham, it's spelled C-O-O-K-E. Yeah. And you can check him out at brilliantperspectives.com sure. and brilliantbookhouse.com. Yep. Find him on YouTube. Find him on YouTube. Yeah. And I agree. I, my wife introduced me to him towards the end of my time at Family Talk. Yeah, we, we have smart wives. And I was like, oh yeah, that's just your thing. That's just your thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's and it was during that wilderness season after I left working for your dad yeah. that I finally was like, okay, I'll listen to it while I'm doing this landscaping for a friend. Yep. And it yep. wrecked me. Yeah. Listen, Laura was listening to his sermons day and night and I was going through a really hard time in life. Really, really hard time. She called him out of the blue. Just like felt motivated to call. Yep. Called him out of the blue and was like, I'm Laura Dobson and um, I'd really love it if you talked to my husband. And he goes, okay, and called me. Called me. By the way, I had just gotten into sermons. I was listening like, I don't know, three times a day. And then I get a phone call and I pick it up and he's like, this is like in his British accent, like this is Graham Cook. And I was like, Gah! I almost hung up. I almost hung up. So it was one of those, I don't know if you've seen it, like, like put him on, I was like, oh, um, can you hang on just for one second? And I put it on like mute and I was like, oh, what do I say? And he just couldn't have been nicer. Could not have been nicer. All right, last question. Okay. If we were to meet one year from today mm. and I got a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? One year from today, I would love Rebel Parenting to be self-sustaining whether through donations or sponsors, I would love to celebrate that. Fundraising's really, really hard. I, you know, I do it so well for other organizations and it's so hard to do it for myself, but my goodness, we are legitimately helping those that need it the most. Like, I feel like I'm bragging when I say it. I don't mean it that way, because I'm just so, so thrilled to get to help people I would love to look back on this time and go, man, it was so hard for so long. Isn't it great that it's caught on? You know, that the numbers, the numbers keep going up, you know, but it's pretty, it's not leaps and bounds. It's starts and fits kind of thing. What do you need to get there? Obviously donations, but I mean, really, I mean, what's something practical that the audience can do? Oh, listen and share with your friends. Yeah, here's the truth. Everybody, it's such a hard thing to do. Like when you see someone going through a marital problem, like, hey, I've got this podcast for you. And they're like, dude, really? This is what you're gonna give me? And it's what got me through my hard times. It's what got you through yours, right? Like our wives reached out and said, hey, I think you'd like this guy. I think it would help you. And you're like, whatever. I don't wanna listen to some silly pastor. Like, and then it did. Yeah. And we get that a lot. We get people that are going through hard times with their kids and their wives and their husbands and they listen, it's like, whoa, no way, I didn't know. And I'm just like, it just thrills me when someone reaches out and is like, hey man, thank you. I'm like, no, thank you. Like it makes my day. It just, it makes my week getting those types of emails. I'm so stoked to get it. So just the growth, and then it will take some, if we're gonna do it with sponsors, It'll either take you know a couple of large donors, which we don't have, or some corporate sponsors that are like, no, 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 we believe in this. Like, we want this to win, and so we're going to invest in this so that it can continue over the long haul. And then eventually, I mean, with enough time, it will 
support itself. It just takes time. Rebelparenting.org is the website. Holy smokes community. You've heard Ryan's request. Let's come through for him. Let's come through for him. He's doing some great stuff. Ryan, I love you, man. You are just, you are just one special dude. Thank uh, you. Welcome. Two months in, bro. three months in, welcome to the Holy Smokes community. It's so great. Those that don't know, like Steve and I have a long history. And so to go from working together and then both going through tough times, like it's so fun to work with you. It is. It's so fun to see how many pies you've got your fingers in and to have other people recognize like your standard of excellence is so high I know that when I post my shows, like it's going to be good because you've got your fingers on it. I know it will sound good and I love that other people have also found that out. It thrills me to see.